It took two years for Dreamfinder to come together. It took two years for us to have all of the props and costumes and wigs and beards and mustaches that we needed to make that character really work. Wow. So you look at YouTube and don't you do this <laughs> and, look, and look up, look me up on the Today Show with Gary, with Brian Gumbel or me with Danny Kay. That beard's awesome. <laughs> You just grow your own come on you got your sport one if, if anybody asked me that the reason i don't didn't i had to shave my beard off as a matter of fact oh really um sleep every night with my beard and curlers ladies and gentlemen boys and girls we proudly present our spectacular show, a podcast magic and imagination full of Disney wonder, news, and pop culture. It's the Main Street Electrical Podcast with Jim Novotny and David Dollar. Hey, Jen. Hey, Dave. It's the Main Street Electrical Podcast. Ooh. Episode number three zero. We are episode. We've been oh. doing this for thirty weeks now. Thirty weeks. Crazy. Thirty. Yeah, I've had to deal with you for thirty weeks. Right. So June, July, <laughs> August, September, October, November. That's like three months away from having a baby. If you were, you know, if you were going to have a baby, starting when we started that's, the show. That's, yeah, that's frightening. Right yeah, there. that's just simple math. Nine minus six, whatever, three months. Anyway, so Jen, <laughs> so how are, how are you? Have, I haven't really talked to you this weekend. Um, no, really you've haven't. You've been busy. I've been busy. How, how, how is life? How is everything? Life's good. Life's good. Disney World was good. I had a you know quick little one night stay. And, That's right. Uh, the one night stay. Yeah. Stay. stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just right. Was yeah, a- we'll we'll talk about that more next week. We don't have a lot of time. Yeah, for sure. We, we no, I just wanted out. to throw it out there. So it was it's it was good though. I mean, stayed at the I yacht club. No complaints. Stayed at the yacht club. We'll nice. talk more about that again. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. How are y'all doing? We're good. We're good. It's been a crazy week. We're the schools are staggered. They're um, some of the students are going Mondays and Thursdays. Some are right. going Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Special needs like my kid is going That's half rough. day all week. So Monday okay. through Friday goes half day. So we get him up okay. at you know six o'clock. We're at the door at seven uh, after breakfast, and he's there till noon. And then he comes mm-hmm. home, and then we're YouTubing and we got activities and whatever. So you know it's it's cra- It's a little crazy. Of course, Christmas is coming up. We're just now getting right. our tree up. We've had our tree up for a week mm-hmm. now with just the lights, and so we've got to get ornaments on the tree now. Yeah. Um, so that's all kinds of fun. So that's coming up. But uh, but yeah, it's been it's life as usual. Um, there's never any predictability about it. It's just no. the more routine it is, the crazier it is. It's just kind of how it works. So how and did it's you- twenty twenty. Yeah, it is 2020. Exactly. But how did you Disney this week is the question. Oh, okay. So I Disneyed by, and I'm sure I'll talk more, but I got this handy little, I'm going to get it down. Um, it is my new Skyliner toy. Ooh. And it's Haunted Mansion oh, themed. Fun my- times. Yes, there yeah. are four or five of those, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. And my kid has all of them. Because he saw the Skyliner toy and he got cooler than me. Well, the first one I think he got was the, I want to say the frozen one. And he carried it around our trip in September. He had it with him for like three straight days. And then I think he lost one of the pieces or whatever, but then he saw the other ones and he was like, well, I have to have them all because his little brain works. Once he sees one, two, three, he wants all of them. 
He's a completist. And so then he would walk around. He actually walked around with one of the, the $1 shopping bags that you could buy from yeah. the machine. Put all of them in there, and he would walk around holding that bag with all of the Skylander pieces in there. Oh He'd have gosh. all the Skylanders and all the things, whatever. So um, it's, it's about 15 bucks a pop. Thankfully, grandmother was with us, and she was like, get that boy a Skylander. I'll take care of it. Over here. I'll take right. care of it. So it was, it was great. Grandma's good for that. It was awesome. Speaking of things that we don't need, I'm going to send you this picture because, um, and I feel like a lot of my uh, How Did That Disney has to revolve around Funko Pops, unfortunately. Like recently, but, oh, like recently, exactly. But well, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I'll, sh- I'll explain the picture in a second. But of course, the Walt Disney one with Walt outside of the castle was released Monday, yes. sold out uh, yep. over the weekend. So it apparently, did. they released it early. All gone. Uh, about a week or so ago, I found a site that, did, that does exclusive pops, and they were selling, um, a pre-ordering a glow in the dark. Uh, hologram Tony Stark in the Iron Man outfit, sitting on a chair what? with Morgan Stark holding a helmet. All glow in the dark. It's what? It's, from, it's from that scene where you know uh, Tony's talking to Morgan yeah. at the very end of whatever. Uh, and I'm like, this is awesome. It's like twenty. But they made a Funko Pop out yeah, of it. Yeah, they made a Funko Pop out of it. And of course, stupid me forgot to pre-order. So last night I go to it. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's sold no. out. Really, really. So what I sent to you is what I just pre-ordered today, and I'm really excited. It comes out in January. It's the Shawarma Hulk. If you remember the end of the Avengers, when yes. they're all sitting around, uh, basically it's Bruce Banner sitting on a table with like all kinds of dishes and cups around him. Awesome. And if you look at the base on the bottom, there's going to be five more of those released in 2021, and they're all going to connect together. Oh my so, gosh, that's too awesome! Yes, yes. I was so, like sitting here looking. I was wondering yep, about that's why the base. So you'll have a you... Thor and a Captain America oh and, a, and a Hawkeye. Hulk, so the trick Black is going to be now to get them, to get all of them. And I'm so excited! I, I'm so excited! It's just it looks. You better so cool. not forget to pre-order well, these. I had it. Boys. I had it actually on my Christmas list, and I'm like, I'm taking this off my Christmas list. I'm going to buy this for myself yeah. right now because we and. This is not a plug, although it should be. We should do business for them. We, we uh, should, yeah. Bombas socks is our favorite socks. We love Bombas. Oh, my dad has a ton of They're Bombas. They're so great. They're such a great company. Mm-hmm. They're great for people. They're great. Uh, they do a yeah. lot of charity work or whatever. And so my wife is loving the Bombas socks. She got us some Bombas socks or whatever. So she ordered some. And oh I'm like, gosh. well, that's your early Christmas present. So I'll, some of your Christmas presents. We'll put them under the tree. And, and so if she asked me about this, I'll be like, well, see, that's, that's you got the socks. I got the Funko. Yeah. And, you know, so there you go. <laughs> no, that's so, fair. That's completely very, very cool. We have a great show coming up here. We sure do. So we've got Ron Schneider coming on the show. And if you don't know who Ron Schneider is, let me just say he's the dream finder. He's the original dream. The OG. The the OG dream finder from the 80s with Figment and everything. He's got a lot of stories to tell. Mm -hmm. Uh, He talks about everything from the foundation of Figment, where Figment kind of came from, to the ride itself, how Disney has changed, kind of the stuff he's done. Being at Universal, when the Universal, when the park Mm -hmm. opened. Uh, the differences then and now, just some great stories he's got to tell because we love Absolutely. Disney stories. So, so sit back for the next hour or so and just enjoy our conversation with Ron Schneider, the original Dream Finder. So, once again, I'm I'm happy to do the podcast only because we get to talk to such cool people like Jen, of course, but also. Okay. We get to bring in guests that are not only a part of, of you know, Disney celeb, but also a part of Disney history, mm-hmm. like, you know, the Dream Finder and Figment, um, the original Dream Finder. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Dream Finder, which we, he can tell you all about in a minute, but was a character that came in uh, into Epcot in the, in the 80s and had Figment, the little purple dinosaur and and everything and just this legendary character that people are all excited about and so we have him on the show none other than ron schneider ron great to have you on the show my friend hey wait a minute just a second i'm not 
There, there I am. <laughs> I, I, I know. I was liking your shirt personally. I thought you were doing that on purpose. You were like, that's right. Because you were, you, you're you, gonna you, talk. the camera panned down to your Epcot Dreamfinder shirt that says, Never forget. I'm like, Absolutely. We'll never forget. No, so. I won't. <laughs> oh, yeah. You'd be surprised. Uh, fewer and fewer people, everybody remembers Figment, but fewer and fewer people remember, <gasps> remember the Dreamfinder. Well, we're going to do our part to make sure that Dreamfinder stays Listen, in the zeitgeist. As I've signed petitions to bring back the Dreamfinder. So. <laughs> As have I. Well, Ron, the first question we always ask all of our guests is, "How did you Disney this week?" Oh gosh, where to start? Um, I got my hands on the behind the scenes at Pixar uh, series oh. that they're doing on uh, Mandalorian. Of course, oh, what, a, what an course. episode! <laughs> um, I'm yeah, I've been doing that. I'm wearing the shirt and uh, and living five miles from Animal Kingdom. That's about as close as I usually get. That's that's a good Disney. That's a very very good. Disney. I mean, he kind of wins this week. Yeah, with I love Disney. it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We you know we have just so much to talk about, and 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 I'll let yeah. and I want to let Jan kind of t- tell her experience with the Dreamfinder. But as I was right. saying before the show started, you know, I started going to Disney in '98. Was '96 oh, was actually my first like college experience. I went in '82, but I think we went just to the Magic Kingdom. Epcot was still being built. As as that Jen has laughed at me before, I've told her when I was when I was seven, I thought the whole park was in the ball. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. The entire theme park was in the ball. I was seven. <laughs> I had no idea. And so I didn't get to actually go to Epcot until 2004 on my honeymoon. So I don't, the, the dream finder memories that I have came with your book and came with video clips and things like that. And mm-hmm. stories that I have Jen, however, you remember the dream finder, yes, correct? I do. I do. Um, I was young, but I actually, I got to be, now it wasn't you, Ron. It was, it was Steve <laughs> um, because it was after your tenure as the dream finder. But I just remember the original version of that ride. And um, so to this day, I still love figment and I still go on the ride. And every time I sort of like mourn a little bit because I'm like, but it's not like it used to be. <laughs> but um, so I know a lot of our audience have probably who are fans of yours have probably they know a little bit about how you became the dream finder but just a really quick recap you were the dream finder and because I never remember the years I remember it was from inception to I don't remember what your last year was before you switched I left in um 87 summer of 87 summer of 87 I started That's when right. the park opened so I was there a couple of weeks actually before mm-hmm. the park opened but my mm-hmm. day in the park was October 1st 1982. Um, the very first thing I did in the park was I was interviewed by Bryant Gumble for the Today Show, and then I was shot with Danny Kaye and Drew Barrymore for the opening TV special. And uh, then they kind of turned me loose. The ride hadn't opened yet, wouldn't open until 1983. And uh, so I walked around. Surprisingly, everybody seemed to know who uh, we were. Um, and I put that down to the when I grew up, when I was a kid, in the TV, and anytime there was paper ad my eyes would always go to mickey mouse where's the where's sure. the characters where are the characters i think the same thing happened with epcot since we were the only characters at epcot center at the time anytime there was anything printed about the character about the the part boom everybody's eyes went to Dreamfinder. Yeah. so uh everybody knew who we were already which uh, was surprising because the part ride hadn't opened yet yeah explaining who we actually were <laughs> um so i was there for, uh close to five years and um the way I got there was, uh, well, I grew up wanting to be a, be a performer at Disney mm-hmm. ever since I was at, I was at Disneyland the day the park opened and all that stuff in yeah. 1955. And um, uh, so uh, from 1970 on, 
Um, I was working exclusively towards the idea of becoming a Disney performer. Wanted to work at the Golden Horseshoe Review mm-hmm. at Disneyland, uh, understudying Wally Bogue. And I worked at Universal Studios and Six Flags Magic Mountain and uh, a lot of themed dinner shows. I love themed dinner shows. And in 1982, they opened up uh, Epcot and I got wind of the fact that there was gonna be no Mickey Mouse at Epcot, just this one character. And he was going to be a uh, Jewish guy. Well, he was gonna be a fat guy. And uh, so I went, that's what I wanna do. And so I went to my boss. By that time, I had about uh, 12 years of experience uh, playing characters like this at three par- at theme parks. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sonny Anderson and Pete Blaustein uh, said, okay, you're our guy. And they brought me out here and I originated the character, uh, the strolling character, based on what I had learned about the ride from Tony Baxter and mm-hmm. Barry Braverman. And did that for five years, uh, moved on from there <clears throat> to do um, an, another theme restaurant and I were opened Universal Studios as a, I was in charge of the celebrity lookalikes for Universal when it opened in 1990. And uh, uh, eventually worked my way back to Disney. I was on the opening crew of the Monsters Incorporated Laugh Floor. Oh I was one of the monsters uh, doing the show there for uh, about two and a half years. And um, between that, I did a, opened a lot of theme parks, a lot of theme restaurants, did a lot of consulting and writing. And now I'm uh, kind of mentoring some people. I had a book out. I uh, did my movie that you, yeah. uh, the, the further frozen head. I've got to play Walt Disney himself. That's and awesome. um, and that's good night, everybody. No, <laughs> no, no. We have so much to delve into with that. I mean, so you, Ooh. yeah. Well, I mean, puppetry. You you got into puppetry at a young age, didn't you? Yep. Yeah, I was, um, I was nuts about ventriloquism and, um, my, uh, my mother got me a ventriloquist dummy, got me a, a really nice Jerry Mahoney. Oh, yeah. um, Paul Winchell was the Jerry Mahoney and bought me this thing because I was seeing a child psychologist and to Wait. get me to talk, well, my mother to buy me, I haven't told this story, um, uh, to buy me a ventriloquist, which was something that I dearly wanted. And so um, I, I used to do ventriloquism um, and became uh, pretty good at it, I think. I mean, I was just a child and I never did it professionally. When I was doing a dream finder, um, they were looking for somebody who could animate the dragon at the same time as they were playing the character. They didn't want Figment to talk. Okay. Because Figment mm-hmm. had this high, scary voice. Uh, I mean, it wasn't high pitched in the ride. It was Billy Barty, he did a wonderful job, but. They took the puppet out to um, children's birthday parties when they were building uh, the ride. They took it out to children's birthday parties, tested the character uh, with kids. And the kids loved Figment as long as he didn't talk Hmm. because it was scary. It was scary. (laughs) Also, his design, he's got this this, uh, devilish look to him. He's all angles. He's not like Mickey Mouse, who's all circles. Uh, Figment's got pointed horn, snout and all this stuff. So um, they decided that uh, he should just keep his big mouth shut. So he would talk to me. <laughs> I could hear him. Uh, I could usually uh, get the kid, the guests to act like they heard him too. Like uh, the, the guests would um, uh, pet, pet him on the nose and I would go and they'd say, you're welcome. And I'd go, whoa, well, very good. <laughs> you hear oh, him too, that's huh? so cool. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine having Figment at your birthday party? I mean, like, 
I would have had the best birthday party. Well, I mean, I guess then you really wouldn't know that you didn't know what a figment was figment. You just thought it was a cool looking dinosaur figmenty thing. But I mean, looking back, I'm like, I had figment at my birthday party. Dude, if you are a person who has has a photo of figment at your birthday party, we need to see this. You need to tweet it out. (laughs) That's pretty. I would have already tweeted it out like 10 times. Guess what I did when I was seven. Right. That's amazing. So, okay. So you never did puppetry. Or not puppetry. You did puppetry. You never did ventriloquism professionally. No, I I, I entertained at a couple of children's birthday parties. When oh, I was did a you? Child. Okay. As a matter of fact, I had I had a little amateur magic act hmm. of a sister, and um, I was uh, I was always into comedy. I started acting in plays when I was around uh, seven. Uh, out at Rancho Park, which is the, the big park next to 20th Century Fox. Oh. First, okay did was Sneezy in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Um, I didn't have any dialogue. I just sneezed twice. <laughs> I did a bunch of plays there. And then in junior high school, uh, I finally got to go up on stage in a real play. My drama teacher in junior high was a fellow named Alan Josephsburg. I owe him everything. He saved my wow. life. Going for me at the time. And uh, we were very, very close all through his life. Um, I, got to, I got to deliver the eulogy when he passed. Oh my gosh! Uh, he's uh, a very important man in my life, and um, I started doing plays in uh, junior high and high school and through college, and um, I've I've always always acted. Uh, besides my work, I did a lot of work with the Orlando Shakespeare Festival and Orlando Opera and uh, Mad Cow Theater, uh, and that's um, just just been a wonderful outlet. Yeah, and and you, um, I'm trying. I feel like you, you're traveling. Did you have a traveling troupe as well? Or is that part of the Orlando things that you're doing? Um, no, not really. No, um, I would latch on to existing um, groups Okay. for them. Um, we tried to start uh, just before I came out to Florida. I t- we tried to start a um, group that would do customized mis- murder mysteries for people's parties. Oh, those are awesome. Oh, awesome. Somebody was called the Plays the Thing. And um, we did uh, customize, uh, we did a couple of Sherlock Holmes uh, parties. I would write, I would go to the person's home, find out what the situation was, and I'd write a personalized mystery for them um, around what their situation was. Uh, I would totally have hired you to do that because I'm the hugest Sherlock Holmes fan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The best best one we did, we did uh, this um, for a husband and wife, and it was just the two of them, they're, they're quite well-to-do. And the husband was gonna have a surprise, uh, wanted to have a surprise birthday party for his wife. And she was a big Sherlock Holmes fan. Oh. They went upstairs, got all dressed up and they came downstairs. And when they came downstairs in their home, there was um, a full meal from a restaurant, a lovely restaurant called the Velvet Turtle. And we had Beef Wellington. That and sounds delicious. A crazy character playing an organ. And there was a waiter, a Cockney waiter and a uh, housekeeper. Um, I was uh, Mrs. Uh, what's her name? The um, uh, uh, Ms. Um, yeah, her. Oh, no, 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 uh, now that you're okay, now I <laughs> Me too. I can't get names anymore. Yeah. Anyway, um, they Watson? served dinner, <laughs> and there was a gift for her in the middle of the table, and um, at the end, the end, and they entertained uh, the Cockney waiter and uh, Mrs. Hudson. Hudson, I'm, I'm like hubble. Uh, they, they sang uh, British musical songs while they were eating. At the end of the meal, they opened up the gift, and the gift had been stolen by oh. Professor Moriarty. Oh. And we, um, and of course, the Cockney Peter 
uh, takes off the false mustache and he was Sherlock Holmes. And uh, he and uh, Mrs. Hudson um, led, uh, led them on a, uh, a oh, yeah, there was a knock at the door and uh, uh, Mycroft Holmes shows up. Yeah, oh! Um, and because uh, we had this guy who was enormous. <laughs> they led the lady on a uh, trip all around the neighborhood looking for her stolen gift. Finally, you get the clue that uh, it was back in the organ that the guy had been playing. That was Moriarty. We had a whole scene um, and they're home. And um, we, uh, we left them at the front door and they went back to the, to, the, to the dining room and everything had been cleared away. There was a, um, a British dessert, an authentic British dessert. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, and uh, the card saying, uh, happy birthday from the place of thing. That was the, the best one we came up with. Um, that's fantastic. I, I want that. So if you so ever Jen, just like decide to start that again, I'm thinking just... we need to have this at the next, uh, next trip, agency trip, agency party or whatever. Let's I mean, legit fly him in. <laughs> Let's just do it. Why not? Why, why the heck not? <laughs> um, so I guess a question for me, for me is that like going back to the Disney, going back to Disney and going back to figment dream finder, how did the concept of figment even come about dream? How involved were you in that process of, you know, were you one of the ones that says, Hey, let's create something out of the imagination. Or did you come into it going, Oh, I'll just do a figment. I mean, it's how, how did it all come together? I was last one on board, <laughs> but <laughs> the most important one. <laughs> oh, definitely. Uh, what happened was there was no imagination pavilion planned. Um, I don't know what was going to go in that slot. Mm-hmm. Uh, were, uh, Tony Baxter was working on the land pavilion um, mm-hmm. and they were look, still looking for corporate sponsors and they went to Kodak. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kodak wasn't interested in any topics that they had there. They sat down and, and brainstormed with, with uh, Kodak and um, realized that the perfect thing for Kodak was imagination because photography is right. an expression of creativity. And right. uh, imagination is a perfect theme for Epcot, because when you think about it, everything in Epcot comes from imagination. Uh, in, uh, and the World Showcase, even the World Showcase, you're looking at the imaginations, the product of the imaginations of all the countries, people around the world. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how that started. Then they were going to do, they had to find a way to, how do you communicate the process of imagination? How do you quantify it? Mm-hmm. Uh, an amorphous thing. And uh, what they came up with, what Tony uh, and Barry Braverman came up with, was that um, creativity comes down to three basic steps, collect, storing, and recombining. You collect sparks of inspiration, you store them in the dream port, and then you recombine them into new things, because there's nothing new under the sun. Everything is variation on something that's come before. So um, they started to figure out, we need, to, we need a character who's gonna talk about this. Uh, so Tony was in a meeting with the Kodak people. And uh, of course, remember Tony had created the Discovery Bay for Disneyland, which was never built, but there was a show at Discovery Bay that was going to be um, a, a show about um, uh, of a crazy inventor. His name was Professor Marvel. And um, he had a pet dragon. So he gets up and he says, I'll be right back. And he runs out of the room and he goes to, I think it was Tom Morris's office. And Tom Morris had on his desk a um, little statue, a little statue of a of a Professor Marvel holding a dragon. And um, he said, uh, uh, let me borrow this. And he grabs the thing, he runs back to Kodak, puts it down on the table and says, um, here, this could be your host. 
And Kodak says, can we get the dragon too? He said, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but Kodak said, but uh, the, that dragon is, is green. We can't have a green dragon because we're Kodak. And green is the box that Fujifilm comes in. Ah. So I said, oh, no problem. That's where Figment got his yellow and red uh, sweater. So um, that's where uh, the characters first sprung up. Uh, Figment got his name famously from an episode of um, uh, Hawaii Detective Magnum Hawaii P.I. Hawaii 5.0? Oh, Magnum P.I. Magnum P.I. <laughs> no, Ma Magnum P.I. Um, the, uh, the, the old guy who lived with Magnum Higgins. said, uh, who was it to my uh, azaleas apart? And says, oh, that was a figment of your imagination. And, fig and Tony Baxter, that's what we'll call him. That is amazing. So the character was based uh, at the time when they were creating it about the, uh, the nearest uh, equal person, which was Joe Rohde. And Joe Rohde was the model for uh, the face of the figure. Mm -hmm. And uh, he portrayed uh, Dreamfinder for the Dreamfinder School of Drama. But um, his voice was looped by Chuck McCann, who is a wonderful voiceover artist. He's no longer with us, mm -hmm. sadly, but a uh, famous character actor. And um, he, uh, they went to him and said, can you do a voice for this? And he came up with uh, The Wizard of Oz, Frank Morgan from the old 1939 movie. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when they recorded the opening scene of the ride that everybody remembers, mm -hmm. um, if you listen carefully, the voice he's doing is Frank Morgan from The Wizard of Oz. One of the reasons I got the job was because um, I went to bed, I got a recording of the voice, I could match the voice. And uh, so they, uh, they brought me in. I got to do a couple of lines in the dialogue of dialogue in the ride as well. And um, so by the time I came on board, uh, the ride was uh, was in its final stages. Mm -hmm. I got to sit down with Tony Baxter and Barry Braverman and hear all the things I just told you. Wow. Um, it just fell to me to take everything that had gone before and make a living, breathing character out of it. Uh, and th that was uh, right up my alley because by that time I'd been studying theme park performance for 12 years mm -hmm. uh, and I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to be a photo op or just a, an autograph thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, uh, I, I figured out how to take the, what was in the ride, the, the concepts in the ride, and force them on the guests when I met them. <laughs> I, the, when they, con they confronted this crazy man with the dragon, um, their reactions and my reaction to their reactions became entertainment. And mm -hmm. uh, so the guests who were waiting to have the picture taken were entertained by our interplay. Yeah. And then uh, from this, uh, from this, I make a living. I, I just think it's so cool that you're somebody who knew from way back when this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. You were able to accomplish it all. And now you have done, I don't know, like to me, you've done even more, I feel like than what you set out to do, but maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe you still have more you want to accomplish. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You nailed it right on the head. That's, that's, that's exactly story. I started with a dream of being a comic at the Golden Horseshoe Review. And, um, but more than that, I wanted to learn everything I could about live themed interaction with a guest. Sure. Um, and I grew up in the 60s going to Disneyland. And there was this big technological revolution going on. Yeah, we got the team. We got Small World and Mr. Lincoln and Pirates of the Caribbean right. and Haunted right. Marshall, 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 Marshall. And um, 
So all this stuff was happening. But it was all mechanical. The character shows were all fiberglass heads bouncing around to pre-recorded soundtracks. Mm-hmm. And there were music. There wasn't a lot of character interaction. And when it was, it was just presentational. It wasn't interactive. Mm-hmm. I, my interest in performing, I wanted to find a way to make full use of the theme environment mm-hmm. and make it about the guests' reaction. Because when in theme entertainment, is my theory. <laughs> in theme entertainment, our product is not the ride. Our product is not the environment or the food or the music. It's your reaction to the ride and the food and the music. Our medium is the guest, not the park. We, the experience that we create within you, your intellectual, spiritual, physical, emotional reaction is what we're making. That's why it's the most, uh, the happiest place on earth because it makes you happy. Uh, mm-hmm. And if it might be our job. Now, if this had been addressed in everything except live performance, and this is what I wanted to learn about as a teenager coming up. I didn't know what was involved. I had no oh, sure. idea. Mm-hmm. I became a ride operator at Magic Mountain. My first theme park job was handing out Christmas parade war uniforms at Disneyland in 1970. Um, but I kept inching towards the idea that I want to be the person who is impacting the guest, drawing them out, finding out how they react to things, how we can get di- different reactions to them. And so that was my life. That was the book. I knew yeah. it very, very early on because I, I knew that nobody else was writing about this stuff. Nobody else was studying this stuff. Now we're at, we're at a point now where we're inching towards it. I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they, they take small, timid steps. Um, <laughs> the great movie ride. We put a live actor in the great movie ride. They're I remember every- that. <laughs> and they're, uh, they're packaged and it's the same every time you come through. Um, but it, it's a step. It's a step mm-hmm. in the direction. Right. And, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm still fascinated with this stuff and still read up everything I can on it. Hmm. And I hope to, uh, I hope to contribute. I hope I've contributed. I, I think you have. I, I think the challenge of those kinds of attractions and those kind of things is that, you know, your cast member is what makes your performance. And the great movie ride is a great example because when you have a cast member who really gets into the, to the role, not just, not just the, the tram operator, but also, um, you know, the one who was the gangster or the cowboy or whoever, when they really got into it, it was a very enjoyable experience. It was a lot of fun, very funny and everything. But sometimes every now and then you would have cast members who maybe didn't weren't really made for that role <laughs> And it just kind of doured the whole thing. It's like, okay, this is fun, but I kind of wish they weren't going stick them up right now. This is a hold up. I mean, just you know. And so, someone like yourself, I mean, it's it, there's so much respect there because you took a character and you made it into something. And mm-hmm. basically, the the hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people that ex- that experienced the Dreamfinder, especially the original Dreamfinder, their experience was based on how well you did. So if you were a cast member that's went out there going, hey, this is this is this is Figment. Hi guys, uh, and we're out here just um, finding dream. No, you didn't do that. You performed, and that is that's a special skill. And I think that's really, really awesome. I think that's fantastic because 
you know, that's, that's what makes the experience. And like you said, it's not just the, the bobbleheads and the, the, the fiberglass and the rides. It's the people and it's the cast members of the team that makes that full experience, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I agree. Oh, the, no. The, the, you mentioned enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is a wonderful thing, mm -hmm. but there is, there's a study to this. Mm -hmm. There is um, that, uh, that I had to scratch my way toward, that I went, I knew where I wanted to get to. I had no idea how to get there. Um, the, my enthusiasm for the characters would only get me so far. And if I that if I approach the guests and went, hey, I got a dragon, it, it turns people <laughs> off. You have to read them. You mm -hmm. have to read them. You have to learn how that human mind works. And right. uh, there are all a limited. There are a limited number of way that people, ways that people can react to a crazy man holding a dragon. But once you learn what those ways are, and um, have started to improvise within that. Then you come up with a set a set show. Mm -hmm. They think their reaction is the, is is unique. Everybody thinks their reaction is unique. Um, but it, generally, everyone has standard ways of reacting to something like this. So what I would do is I would take their reaction. I would act surprised, and I would have four or five different prepared answers, mm -hmm. whatever there was that they gave me. And so it, the the, the key in doing this kind of interaction, uh, it's not improvisation. Improvisation helps in writing it. Mm -hmm. uh, but our, our goal is not uh, constant innovation. It's consistent perfection. Oh, I like that. Guest pays a fortune to park. <laughs> to get into the park. So if, if we're going to improvise, yeah. that's saying, first of all, uh, look at me, I'm clever uh, because I'm the improviser. Mm -hmm. Not about me, it's about you. Then, um, but still it's me as the performer, I have to guarantee that they're going to have the perfect time. Yeah. That they are going to come off looking and smelling like a rose and they're going to have a wonderful time, wonderful memorable time that's going to touch them and move them and in the case of Epcot, inspire them. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's a science. It's not just enthusiasm and mm -hmm. costumes. It's um, a question of getting inside the guest's head, finding out what motivates them, what inspires them, and what tricks you can play to get them to believe that what's happening mm -hmm. to them. Did you ever have a guest that surprised you with a reaction? Like a... Well, there's the, the story that I've told two zillion times. It's in the book. Right, right. Uh, I didn't know if there was another one too, but I mean, you could tell the one from the book. Well, it, it, um, there was a little boy who, who said, uh, goodbye, Jesus. <laughs> um, it happened again. It happened again when I was, I was uh, doing a, a, a gig at the uh, Contemporary Resort and I was walking through the kitchen and there was a fellow on his knees cleaning, cleaning out an oven. And he looks up and he goes, you look just like Jesus. No. <laughs> But well, this is the little girl. Uh, the, one of the best things about playing Dreamfinder was getting to meet the uh, the, uh, um, the Make a Wish kids. Oh. And um, the the first little Make a Wish kid I met, she's actually a teenager. I think she's probably about eleven or twelve. And she was there pushing around in a wheelchair. She uh, she was blind. Mm -hmm. and, um, 
she uh they said you could come over here and make the make a wish kit i hadn't done that before and um so i went over and talked to her and she was touching the dragon and um she said would you like to take an imaginary trip with me i said oh yes and so i said where do you where, where do you want to go and she said let's go to the moon and I sat there with her and listened to her. And here I am, the spirit of imagination and creativity. And this little girl left me in the dust. Just, wow. just we just had this amazing adventure. And it was all, all out of her imagination. Oh so yeah, we, would, we would get surprised occasionally. I love that. That's just, it's really so- pretty. <laughs> random question and this is uh, uh this is a question there and i i can't i read the book and the book we keep talking about uh for the audience is called from dreamer to dream finder and it's a life and lessons uh learned in 40 years behind a name tag i read the book and i read it right after it came out so it's been about four or five years since since i've read it so there are some stories that i don't remember uh, and what i like about the book is i like it that it's not just disney world and i actually expected mm-hmm. most of it to be about disney world but it is about your time at magic mountain and universal and and i like the the fact that you are not afraid to say you know what disney i love you but there are some things you really need to work on um and i know you tell lots of great stories in there and one story that I, and i don't remember if it's in the book or not but i do want to ask you about was it you as the dream finder who met michael jackson in the mid 80s oh yeah was that you oh yeah i was up in the dressing room and got a call on the the phone Michael Jackson's downstairs, wants to meet the dream finder. And uh, so I threw on the dragon, went downstairs. The, the garden area was all roped off. Um, he was the only person out there and um, went up and uh, he, he loved us, loved Figment. Um, I told him that uh, the night before Thriller had debuted on MTV. I told him that we'd seen, <laughs> we'd seen his show. Wow. Enjoyed it. And um yeah, it was, uh, it was a wonderful moment. I got to meet uh, quite a few celebrities through the years. Um, I got to meet Red Skelton and oh. uh, uh, Mark Wilson was a magician that was on TV back in the 50s that was my, one of my inspirations. Oh, wow. So I got to, uh, got to surprise him. And um, Danny Kaye, one of my heroes. Oh, right. I love Danny Kaye. <laughs> I got into this business because of Danny Kaye. And uh, he was... Uh, he was there, oh. you know, uh, sometimes you don't want to meet your heroes, <laughs> um, but I got to, I got to work with Annie Kay. So there you go. I mean, that's, that is <laughs> right. always very, very cool. <laughs> of course. Now, what was it? about like I, I never experienced the original journey into imagination i never got to experience it what i see it was on youtube and things like that i've heard jen talk about it here and there but of course she was a little girl then as well what what is it about that attraction you think that people still just love and crave and want to see again i mean we you know i, I would love to ride body wars never got to ride it but i don't hear a lot of people talking about body wars or kitchen cabaret or you know um the delta dream flight i don't hear people talking about old attractions other than things like journey to imagination how much they want the original back what do you think what it was about that that just captured everybody's imagination well first of all tony baxter i mean um, yes there in words are, is just about anything you need to know about how to tell a story in a ride mm-hmm. um first of all second of all the the, the subject matter and, and the way that he communicated it you know as he explained to me they realized early on that to, in order to put across the concept of imagination, you couldn't do it moving through a ride. It's like in Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, you can go through, there's no linear story. 
mm-hmm. Pirates of the Caribbean. What it does is it generates with you within you a swashbuckling attitude, right. and that's that's it, is is its success. But imagination, you got you got to take a moment and explain it. Mm-hmm. So what with was um, a turntable scene with five count them five flying machines on this turntable that is going around all the time, and the ride vehicle comes up alongside one of those flying machines and travels around the turntable. And the scene plays for three, three and a half minutes mm. where Dreamfunk stops and explains exactly how imagination works. And by way of explanation, he creates figment mm. and we see his love for the dragon and their love for each other. And this is established in that scene and goes throughout the ride. The um, relationship of these two characters, the reason Figment is so memorable is because we see him created, we see the affection that Dreamfinder has for him, and we come to identify with Figment. Mm-hmm. Figment's our trip. So when we get to the last room, it's just Figment surrounded by all these movie screens, and on all these movie screens, there's all these fantasies of what he could do with his life. Mm-hmm. He's a uh, movie star, he's a pirate, he's climbing a mountain, he's a superhero, he's a song and dance man. And we realize consciously, unconsciously, that's us. We could do anything that we can mm-hmm. imagine. It's, a, yeah. it's the truth. I mean, it's just uh, one of my inspirations all my life has been the quote, we are never given a dream without being given the power to make it come true. Um, right. I'm a living example of that. And so people Remember that relationship. Remember the wonderful man. One of the things Tony told me about Dreamfinder Ron is, is that he was loosely based on that guy who used to host the Wonderful World of Color on Sunday nights. Hmm. Um, he was a crazy uncle who loved you and supported you and thought you were wonderful. Yeah. And um, so that's why I've always said, if the characters are remembered at all, it's because of what Tony Baxter did in that ride. It doesn't have much to do, I think, with what we did posing for pictures. Um, uh, it has more to do with merchandising now than anything else. <laughs> the fact that Dreamfinder is remembered at all, I think, because of this, the job that he did telling that ride, telling the story in that ride. And um, so, it, the, so that's one major reason why uh, the ride is so fondly remembered. There were more special effects in that one ride than there were in all of Walt Disney World when it opened in 1971. There was the incredible wow. design. You had the um, steampunk thing was just coming into its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, first ride that took a picture of you while you were on the ride and showed you the picture of you in the ride. Mm-hmm. It had a through line. It had a storyline. But I don't think most people realize that. Um, in that flying scene, the, the Dreamfinder was collecting these sparks of inspiration. Uh, but those sparks came in later in the ride when you traveled through the realms of literature and performing arts and science and uh, uh, photography, the sparks that he collected were used to make new and exciting things. So that was the storyline of the ride. I don't think people, most people got that. I was dating a woman at the time who had no idea. Oh, That's- really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it, uh, so you had all that good, uh, that, the good storytelling, yeah. the emotion, the identification, all those things. Now, Everybody says, bring back the original ride. I 
they can't bring back the original rag. First of all, that was in the 1980s. That was cutting edge in 1980s. Everything that you had up in the image works in 1982 is now on my cell phone. <laughs> I can do all it's on true. my cell phone. It's true. Um, <laughs> Uh, then they, they, when they got rid of the ride, yeah. they got rid of Figment and everybody complained. So they put Figment back in. But the problem was the guy who wrote the new Figment made him a pest. Mm. He shows up on the screen and uh, then the guy, Eric Idle goes, no, not you. Get out of here. Well, if you treat somebody like that, they're not going to be fondly remembered. Yeah. People remember the way Dreamfinder loved Figment. Uh, if you yeah. want to see the real relationship between Dreamfinder and Figment, get the comic book. The Figment comic book. I have the comic that, book. Uh, I have it, and it's great. Oh, it's a beautiful comic book. Uh, yeah. He, Jim Zub is the man's name, and he mm -hmm. did his homework, and he spoke to Baxter, and he, you could see that same affection, that same love and support between the two characters there. So mm -hmm. um, Tony has said that he'd be happy to come out of retirement and, and work on an updated version because he doesn't see what's so entertaining about an upside down toilet either. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, although I, I do enjoy his new Christmas sweater this season. It is mm -hmm. a nice, it is a nice sweater. Yeah, yeah. Did you see I mean, that one? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> if they redid the ride, I think I would miss most Eric Idle's big face on a moon doing this as you're leaving, you know, nightmare fuel. I just don't know that I would, I, I think I would miss that the most. It's, it's and for somebody who's never, like I said, did not see the original. Um, it is, it is a very quirky, different ride. And it's something where, and I agree with you because Figment is treated like a pest who mm -hmm. somehow works his way into the good graces of Eric Idle, your host and your scientist in there. And, and I, and I would love to have seen the original or experienced the original or experienced the dream finder. Why do you think that maybe Disney has not brought the character back the dream finder? And, 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 and I've heard you actually say that if they asked you to come back and do it, you probably would not do it again. Um, but uh, why do you think that Disney's just not done it? People would love it. All the guests ask for is what they've already seen. Mm -hmm. They always want to bring back Toad and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and bring back the Imagination Ride and bring back Dreamfinder and all the guests know is what they've seen. Whereas all these things, the first time we saw them, were a surprise, and that's why we fell in love with them. That's true. Our business is not to re is not, you know, uh, Mr. Peabody said, I never chew my cabbage twice. Hmm. And it's one thing to pay to pay homage, homage to to uh, something like that, to pay tribute. I mean, and we love that. But um there's a, there's a central idea to that original ride that they could do. Mm -hmm. I've talked about this a couple times, that the way to update that ride, in my opinion, is um, we should be flying the, fly, the dream machine. Oh, we should yeah. be the one in the dream machine that is we're collecting sparks that we're flying by, mm -hmm. and then we fly through the literature and performing like arts, and, and we shoot the things that we've collected at things in the ride, and they become new things that we have participated in creating. Creating. This mm. seems to me this way is the same ride, but it's different, and it's about us. It's about our creativity, which is what the whole ride is supposed to be about, anyway. Right. Um. So, I, I, I well, they did such a cruddy job of bringing back Figment. My greatest fear is that they'll bring back Dreamfinder. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's, um, a valid, I, that's a valid concern. <laughs> physically, I'm in no shape to play fake, to play Dreamfinder, but mm. I would uh, love to have a hand in training the next generation of Dreamfinders. Mm, I think um, you would be perfect for that. Yeah. Then it would not be uh, do as I do. It would be uh, that same voyage of discovery that I did back then to find what a contemporary Dreamfinder uh, would be. Yeah. And I love because well, you already have done some work with younger actors, correct? Is that have you done some? I know you've trained um, some I'm like under theme parks, but um, I have not uh, directed um, a lot. Mm. I was I worked with. I guess the 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 answer to your question would be my celebrity work with celebrity lookalikes at Universal. Okay. That. Um, when we opened Universal in 1990, um, the, the people who were on the character department uh, were familiar with me that I knew a lot about uh, Laurel and Hardy and WC Fields and- um, All the classics. They wanted to have mm-hmm. But they, um, they didn't know what they wanted them to do. Uh, the characters, uh, the, the lookalikes they had in California, all they were doing was walking around signing autographs. And even then they were signing their own names so Charlie Chaplin would write Joe Blow as Charlie Chaplin, which is really taking the edge off of things. Um, so they came to me and they asked me uh, when they were first starting out, what should we do with these characters? It was just a one shot yeah. uh, consulting job. And I said, um, well, you can either try to imitate the past or you can make the characters live now. And if I'm meeting the Blues Brothers and I'm meeting Laurel and Hardy, I want them to be there with me now. Mm-hmm. Besides which, if you're trying to recreate, recreate the past, you're just going to come off second best because you can't be as good as Laurel and Hardy. So um, they liked that. They brought me in and um, I got to uh, hire and train and write for all my favorite characters growing up. Um, the Laurel and Hardy, I wrote original material for Laurel and Hardy and the Marx Brothers, Casey Fields and Marilyn Monroe and uh, we Beetlejuice. We got Beetlejuice out there. Um, and my Blues Brothers shows are still running. I love Blues Brothers. Although they have been... They've been fixed several times. So they, they um, like a dog that's been fixed, uh, they aren't quite as potent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know. <laughs> so what it, was listen, that like? It, 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 the management changes, you know? Mm-hmm. People right. got new management teams and everybody, everybody wants to be Walt Disney. Everybody thinks they can do it. Easy. The stuff is is childlike, if not childish. And so it looks simple to do. I saw the show. I enjoyed it. And I, I'm sure I can do the same thing. It's so simple. And so um, they come in and they fix what isn't broken. Right. Um, or they miss the point of things. They take the emotion out of it. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, there's a My Blues Brothers show has been running for close to 30 years. Mm-hmm. But not the same show it's not the same show so i'm i'm also fascinated too by by universal and just the story of universal because i know they wanted to build a theme park and then eisner decided well let's build us a theme park as well highway studios opened up right before universal did what was it like on opening day universal what was that whole experience like of being there when that park opened because it's vastly different than than it is right now so what was that like the uh, well of course none of the major rides worked Right, um, <laughs> they were they were so 
they were so busy trying to get open and um and trying and trying to rub disney's face in it and uh a lot of things just were not ready but we had an opening date and they shot for it mm -hmm. um but uh it the the one thing we did have going for us was that we were all the way the hell out in florida and the company was all the way the hell out in california we were on our own we had some very creative and talented people who uh, took advantage of that. And we created the first uh, Halloween Horror Nights, which was called Fright Nights. Right. But we did it on our own. It was all in-house. And it um, was very simple and low budget. We only mm -hmm. had one house. And it was all self-built and no, IT, no IP. Um, and I wrote a couple of shows. And... Uh, it it all worked, and we had the we had the Marx Brothers. I mean, we had the, we didn't we didn't have Mickey Mouse. Right. We had the Marx, Brothers. and the Marx Brothers will pull a lady into a fountain if they want to. <laughs> uh, they, um, and we had the Blues Brothers. And the Blues Brothers are not theme park characters by any stretch of the imagination. Nope. We took advantage of that, and as a result, we had some teeth. You know, yeah. stuff that the technical stuff may not have been working consistently, but my people were. And walked into um, uh, Disney MGM, and you were in a theme park. Right. You right. Universal, and it was ugly. It was sound stages. There were sets, but they were way over there. It was a studio. You're walking into a movie studio. So that was one of the, the things they did right. Mm -hmm. um, but it, uh, it, they went back and forth, but... Both parks, both mm -hmm. companies, back and forth. There was a time when, when they opened, Disneyland treated their employees like assets and their mm -hmm. guests like assets. And Universal treated their employees like assholes. And, their <laughs> and then it turned around. It turned around and then it turned around again. And right now they're both doing okay, except that you know one company's laying off everybody in sight and the other one is, is struggling to open maybe before they should. <laughs> right. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, this is a people business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, the people keep changing. The management teams keep changing. And one of the things that uh, happened as a result, I never lasted in any job longer than six years because management would change. I would get sure. into a situation where, um, and this was always the, the, the best thing for me was, I would get into a situation where because of my reputation and because of the work I'd done, I would be, I would get a call where I would be the first person through the door. I was the one that people uh, turned to, to create something new. Mm -hmm. And so we had this, we had this wonderful creative momentum and there was all this emotion and this, this, this forward motion and all this. And then some, for some reason, um, either because they wanted to keep the union out or, uh, management, a particular manager would get bored, yeah. there'd be a change. And suddenly, I'm not the person they come to. I'm considered a nuisance. And I got, would get the hell out. I would go someplace else and get some more experience, some more, some more experience, yeah. learn what I had to learn over there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I wouldn't have had it any other way. I mean, I would have happily stayed at the Golden Horseshoe Review at Disneyland for 15, 20 years and been very happy. Love that show. I loved the it's idea of carrying show. forward for all those years. 
But um, if I hadn't left there, I wouldn't have had all the other wonderful experiences I've had and learned all the things I've learned. Yeah. And I think there's something exciting too about creating something. It's like, there's so much energy, like you said. And, and I mean, I think I mean, for me as, cause I'm also a performer, it's addictive to like create something. Yeah. The, um, the, but that's true in a corporate sense too. When you open a new theme park, I've opened a bunch of theme parks. Yeah. It's a wonderful feeling when you open a new theme park. Everybody is pulling together to do this thing mm-hmm. that we're not quite ready to do. We're never really, oh, it only takes a year to two years. Right. Before everything's in place that you need to do the job you want to do. So for those first couple months, everybody's eating out of the same lunch truck. Sure. Uh, Jerry isn't built. And um, the locker rooms don't, or the floors are dirty and, 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 and everything's just a, just a mess. It took two years for Dreamfinder to come together. It took two years for us to have all of the props and costumes and wigs and beards and mustaches that we needed to make that character really work. So you look at YouTube and don't you do this and look, <laughs> and look up, look me up on the Today Show with Gary, with Brian Gumble or me with Danny Kay. That beard's awful. <laughs> Couldn't you just grow your own? Come on, you got your sport one. Everybody's asked me that. The reason I don't didn't, I had to shave my beard off. As a matter of fact, oh really? Um, Sleep every night with my beard and curlers. Oh, Oh, okay, all right, that's fair. Also, when you're working as a Disney performer, they use they plug you in everywhere. You get to do parades and you get to do convention shows and stuff like that. So, um, I so I could take the beard off and go do something else entirely. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Because you're sporting a pretty great beard. Right. I'm just saying. I mean, oh, yeah. you got the. It's a rental. <laughs> What's, I, I took a picture of the, I took a screenshot and I sent it to a friend of mine. I'm like, we're talking to the Dream Finder. And before I could actually say who it was, is that Santa? Which I thought was <laughs> pretty great. <laughs> it's like, no, it's the original Dream Finder. He's hanging up now, Dave. Great job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so another question I have too, and, and, and I know that you do go to the parks and everything. Um, when you go to the parks, either Disney or Universal, what attraction captures your imagination? What is it that you're like, this is, this is Disney. This is, and maybe even something newer. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. not like pirates or, or Peter Pan or some of the older things, but some of the newer attractions, what captures your imagination that makes you just puts you in wonderment? Well, first of all, my home is Disneyland. Mm-hmm. It will be magic kingdoms. Nice. Uh, Disneyland was designed by a genius for people. Magic kingdom was designed by a committee for a mob. It's you know, three times the size, but there's far less to do in it. Mm-hmm. And um, as Tony Baxter has said, um, this, the Magic Kingdom is a spectacular park. Disneyland is charming. That's and a good word. All, all my the most heartfelt answers to that question are going to be um, they're going to be mostly Disneyland. And that's okay. I we love yeah. Disneyland too. Oh, I love Disneyland. Snow White's Grotto <gasps> is my favorite spot in all the parks um, because uh, it's real mm-hmm. and it uh, is, is it's rife with history and emotion, and um, most people don't even know it's there. Uh, all the little intimate things. I mean, having grown up going to Disneyland 
for so many years. Um, I miss having lunch uh, behind the, the uh, Chicken of the Sea pirate ship in Fantasyland, uh, the little grotto area that most people didn't even know was there, having a hot tuna burger and some clam chowder. Mm. And um, the Golden Horseshoe Review, oh God. Uh, there's, there's so much. Uh, if you're talking about uh, the technical things, the technical marvels, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Twilight Zone Tower of Terror is just amazing. Oh my yes. That's amazing yeah. storytelling. Um, I got to ride uh, for the very first time on um, uh, the uh, Smuggler's Run. Oh, nice. God, that was unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a bad pilot? Were you uh, the pilot? Yeah, yeah me. <laughs> me, me. It's a little shaky. Can be. <laughs> it was uh, me and my best friend, and we get we get in the cockpit. I'd never been on it before. I'd seen the video fifty million times, mm-hmm. and and I got to pull the thing that sent us up, and then and then just to survive physical abuse, and uh, watch a video where I had absolutely no. I mean, I knew I was controlling it, but I had, didn't have five years of experience controlling it, so it was just unpleasant. <laughs> Um, I, uh, I love Star Tours, on the other hand. Um, I'll probably never get to ride Rise of the Resistance. Oh, okay. <laughs> Odds are against me. And uh, I'll never get to ride Flight of, uh, f- uh, Flight Flight of Passage. Of, uh, Flight of Passage, because I'm not the right size. Mm. I mean, the Harry Potter rides, because I'm not the right size. I mean, I can't believe they're spending all that money on rides that people can't go on. Um, it, it makes me think of the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train and how tiny those those cars are. They are I so. That. Boy, that's a great strong. ride. That is <laughs> a, a great ride. ride. But great yeah, ride. it's when when and I have trouble with this ride too. When I get out of it, sometimes it goes, and it's just like ugh to get out of the. It's it's tough. It's a it's a small little space. I, I, whenever I go on Small World these days, first of all, I don't know where to put my legs, and <laughs> I get to have two or three people that are there at the offload area help my help me get my fat butt out of the ride. <laughs> I feel I starting I'm okay I'm not that old but like nowadays when I got a Space Mountain I'm like oh gosh yeah once once for that's me, a I'm rough done. one <laughs> I like I like Space Mountain here Disneyland which I dearly love oh I love yes. Disneyland yes I have, yep. to cr- I have to fold my legs down into cramped position so through the entire ride I am in pain yeah I like so much I'll probably never yeah. get to go on it again sadly yeah oh my gosh I. So what are we doing now? What's uh, in the in the last few years? What where 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 have we been in the last few years, and where are we going with with Ron Schneider, aka the Dream Finder? I know that you said that you had the new version of the book coming out with some new stories, which I'm excited about, and I will now reread. Uh, I have it on Audible, which uh, you you read to me for nine hours. It was awesome. <laughs> you went to sleep, didn't it? <laughs> uh, well, a couple of times. No, I love it. That works for me, boy. <laughs> <laughs> because especially, I mean, right now. I know you, you'd been doing a lot of acting, but mm-hmm. we all know that right now that's because you have a Shakespeare yeah. Zoom theater, don't you? Is that is that is that oh, the you right term? Zoom? Uh, I did uh, some Zoom things with the Playwrights Roundtable. Mm-hmm. I did okay. a thing with them uh, about a year ago that were wonderful. Um, and but uh, Shakespeare has kind of passed me by lately. Um, I was I was staging uh, cabarets for Mad Cow Theater for seven years. That was a wonderful experience. I got to write and. Um, uh, uh, cabarets. I'd never done cabarets before. And so we would do these perspectives on different years, the music of different years. Um, and that was terribly rewarding. Um, mm-hmm. Just uh, finished, um, we started a, a new YouTube show 
called Wild Rides. And uh, we shot 14 episodes about two months ago. Hopefully it's going to make its debut on YouTube uh, next month. Sometime, oh, I'm, I'm told. They're being edited now. Uh, and I interview um, uh, dream catchers, dream finders, people who, uh, like us, had a dream of doing this kind of remarkable work and had that dream come true for them. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's addressed to people who want to do this kind of thing and uh, have a dream of doing it and mm-hmm. how to take the first step. Mm-hmm. And so I've, been, I've interviewed uh, 14 people, um, famous people, some people, just personal friends of mine who've had tremendous success in, uh, in theme parks. And um, um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's if, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I think it's going to be wonderful. It's called Wild Rock. Uh, and uh, the, the bottom line on it is if you follow your bliss, you're in for a wild ride. So, oh, I like that. Hopefully that'll be showing up in the next couple of weeks. Oh, I'm going to be looking for that. Because... Now, now, Jen, I've already been on two of the episodes so far. When is your episode coming on? Um, Has he not asked you yet? I'm just, no, I'm just no, curious. No, okay. <laughs> Such a liar. <laughs> yeah. See what I put up with? This is yeah. what I put up with. Yeah, all this is what time. she puts up Don't with. It's crazy. for me? It's <laughs> Okay. Um, and uh, and then there's the film, which is out on YouTube. You can see the whole thing. It's called The, the, the Further Adventures of Walt's Frozen Head. I and, love it. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty proud of it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, it's, um, I had, and I had nothing to do with it. Uh, I was the last thing put into it. So the, the parts that are, um, I'm, <laughs> I was there. Uh, right. But uh, I got to play Walt Disney. And uh, it's a terrific script. It's kind of a yeah. uh, Frank um, Capra, Frank Capra story. Yeah. A film. And um, it's quite heartwarming and, and funny. And uh, Walt gets a few licks in there. So. I, I don't think I've ever heard of this. I, oh, you I'm, haven't? I just pulled up on YouTube. I'm going to watch this this week. I'm an avid movie watcher. Um, and uh, I'm going to, yeah, I will definitely watch this and talk about this. I have a movie podcast too, so that definitely will come oh, up. This okay. is really great. <laughs> this is awesome. I look forward uh, to seeing this this week. <laughs> it's a, and uh, so there's that. Um, I, I haven't started on the rewrites for the book. Uh, there's still bubbling in my head trying to figure out what my approach is going to be. Um, so don't hold your breath on that. <laughs> I, I talked about uh, working on Dreamer to, to Dreamfinder yeah. um, for like three, four years before I ever laid a word down. So you've been warned. Um, <laughs> a beautiful family. We live about five minutes from uh, Animal Kingdom. I, so I don't go to the parks that often, uh, thanks to people like Jeff Lang and uh, uh, Fat, Big Fat Panda and Martin Smith. I get most of my information online, um, like uh, just all the other people across the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, um, good friend Panda. Very <laughs> nice. I, uh, I, I read everything I get my hands on about the history yeah. of Disneyland. Um, there's a wonderful book I I should recommend. I just oh yes. tonight. It's the Cyn- the Cynics Guide to a Theme Park Vacation. Oh, to the Cynics Guide. It is it's everything you always wanted in a Magic Kingdom guidebook. They do they do Disneyland uh, Resort. They do all of Walt Disney World Resort mm-hmm. and Universal Parks on on both coasts and. Um, it, uh, it calls a spade a spade, and it does it in no uncertain terms. The language <laughs> is rough. Okay. Uh, it's, it's very cynical. 
It's very complimentary when it needs to be complimentary. What they have to say about the new journey into imagination is, is your children shouldn't read. <laughs> it, it is, it is, uh, oh, it is painful to read, painfully wonderful. And I um, saw it on Amazon. I'm that, I did not write it. I'm recommending that to everybody. That is a beautiful book. Good, because I need a new book to read. So now that'll very that'll nice. do it. That'll do it. Okay, so I have one more question. And yes. so I don't know, people either love this question or they hate this question. So I don't know. If you hate it, you can just tell me to buzz off. But okay. um, is there a story that you never get to tell that you would just love to tell about anything, just about anything in your experience? Like, what do people not ask you about that you're like, I would just really like to talk about this? Wow. This one you could have sent to me beforehand. This <laughs> is, <laughs> you know, because I got I got stories, and and oh, uh, there's the one about the traveling salesman, but I don't think you know. Gee, I know it's a hard because, like, as a musician, they'd be like, "Well, you you sing whatever your favorite one is to sing," and I'm like, "Well." I mean, it depends on my mood at the moment and what genre you want me to sing in and all sorts of things. So I know it can be hard, but. Um, this, it, this is a story I've, I have told. It's, and it's in my book, but it, it's, uh, it's but since my life now is pretty much mentoring and, and trying to inspire people to mm-hmm. grasp their dreams. Um, it's a, it would be about my, tra- my, the transition I made from performing to writing because mm. I'd never written really, um, when coming up at all, I'd always been a performer. Um, when I was in college, I had a, we had a wonderful teacher who taught uh, theatrical makeup and we came to class one day and he said, uh, today we are going to learn how to do, uh, historical likenesses. And he sat down, we were in a big room full of makeup tables and mirrors and lights. And he gave us a piece of paper and a pencil. He said, now the way to make yourself look like somebody else is to know what you look like. So today mm-hmm. we're going to draw a self-portrait. Oh gosh. And all of us went, oh, <laughs> no idea. So, um, what the great thing is that at the other end of all the pencils, there was an eraser. So I would look at the mirror and I'd look down at the paper, I'd look in the mirror, look down at the paper. I'd make a line, I'd make another line, I'd look in the mirror. If it looked like me, I kept it. If it didn't look like me, I got rid of it. And by the end of the hour, I had captured my eyes. It was the strangest experience I'd ever had. And that's how I became a writer. Um, I, uh, I started, first started working on a computer when I was at, uh, Universal in the nineties and, um, discovered, uh, word processing. Mm. Um, I would write, I'd, if I had an idea of what I wanted to, what I was, I'd find out what the subject was I was supposed to be talking about and I'd start writing. And if the stuff, if I was writing a comedy, if the stuff made me laugh, I kept it. If I wrote something down and I went, well, they'll laugh at that. Um, I, I would get rid of it. That's good. I, I always talk about this, this machine, the Hackmeister 2000. The Hackmeister 2000 is the computer that writes theme park shows. They, 
management people go to the Hackmeister and say, okay, we need uh, we have a small stage we're building in the middle of Tomorrowland. Uh, we want to promote Stitch. And um, we're going to put some guys and gals on stage in futuristic costumes. Uh, let's have a script. And the Hackmeister 2000 writes this script. And the jokes aren't funny. And the show is not engaging. And those are, that's how you know that script was written by the Hackmeister 2000. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the Hackmeister 2000 I'm referring to is a good friend of mine and a terrific guy <laughs> and a great writer. But when you're writing for theme parks, the, the philosophy is they'll like that. Yeah. That was the difference between Universal and Disney. Universal, you had to answer to Jay Stein when we opened. And if Jay Stein didn't laugh at it, it didn't go in the park. If he wasn't scared of it, of it, it didn't go in the park. Whereas you have a committee of people, and uh, sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not true, times you'll change. But uh, they'll go, yeah, that, that, that'll get them. They'll laugh at that. And I always say that if you, uh, if you take something that you wrote and you show it to your mother, and she says, it's cute. <laughs> cute means I don't like it, but I think they will. Um. So my rule when I started writing was if I laugh at it, when I think of it, then I keep it. And if um, I don't laugh at it, then I try to find a way to make myself laugh at it. Well, when I was, I created the, um, the uh, Beetlejuice show for the first Halloween Horror Nights, I had the Blues Brothers check into the Bates Motel. And uh, Norman Bates, uh, they wind up doing a concert for the visiting guests in front of the Bates Motel. And um, of course, Norman Bates is there. I had him, uh, they, yeah, she, they, had, they had two girls dancing backup with them. Uh, and when it occurred to me that Norman Bates should be part of the three backup dancers, I screamed laughing. And it was one of the funniest things I ever saw in my life. Um, so that's, you got, you, if you, you, can, you can take on a challenge you've never done before, but uh, keep challenging yourself. Love that. What happens um, is making that transition mm -hmm. to go through the stages. You have to cast your bread upon the water. You have to let people know, see stuff that you've written. And so the first thing they'll do is they'll steal it. They'll put their name on it. Then eventually they'll come to you and they'll say, can you write this for me? And, um, and then they'll give you a, a additional dialogue credit. All this stuff happened to me a couple times. Um, before finally somebody recognizes you move someplace else and you're the first person they call. Yeah. And, um, and then again, I was never a trained writer at the time. I'm still not a trained writer. I just know what I like and I know what mm -hmm. works. And I, and you know, you got the word processor. You say it's easy to replace words and get rid of ideas and try new things. I read everything aloud 50 times. Uh, I hate writing, but I love having written. So uh, if I write something, I will look at it and I will read it aloud to see how it sounds and yeah. I'm getting to it. That helps a lot. Uh, I stuff, post stuff on Facebook. I wish to God they'd read the stuff aloud because they have not said what they thought they <laughs> True. Yeah. Story. That's an entirely other hour that's a of discussion whole, that, right there. That's a podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, this has been 
amazing. I have been uh, like, I am honored to talk to you because I know the, the place you have in Disney history um, and Epcot history. And I just think it's, it's incredible. And so thank you so much for coming on the show with us and talking to us for an hour or so. This has been, this has been fantastic. This has been wonderful. Our fans are going to go nuts over this. Yeah. And, and if our, um, so for our fans to follow you on social media, mm-hmm. uh, I know you've kind of shouted out, we've shouted out some of your different um, places for, you know, movies and books and stuff, but is there, you know, social media Facebook. Where you, just Facebook? Facebook. All right. Gotcha. Yep. Nice. We can do that. Of course, the book from dream to dream finders on Amazon and it's on audible and all those are the platforms as well. Uh, and, the Further Adventures of Walt's Frozen Heads on YouTube. I just saw it. It's free. It's an hour and 20. So I'm going to watch that in the next couple of days, which I'm pretty excited about. And so, um, so yeah, this is, this has been wonderful. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ron. This is awesome. Thanks, Thank you guys. Had a ball. Oh man. Had so much fun. We'll have to have you back. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Oh, oh bye. And of course, I love when we interview celebrities, Disney celebrities, because yeah. we get to talk to them and we get to find out stuff and learn stuff. And it was just, that's just, that's cool. That's really, really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. It's- All right, so you got the Dream Finder on. Uh, I've got a friend of mine who was a Dapper Dan and also served in the Hoopty Doo Review and everything for a long time. So I'm going to try to get him mm-hmm. on pretty soon. And then it'll be your turn for bringing on a guest. Um, I don't have Bob Iger's number. I'm assuming you can get it. If you have to get Chapek, that's fine. But, you know, we've been on the show now. I guess I mean, by January it'd be like thirty-five weeks. So really, the I bomb, mean, the Bob should be ready to come. The Bob should be ready point. to come on. So yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you know, I, and and I'll work on Eisner. I'm working on Eisner now. Um, probably not going to happen, but I, I will try. <laughs> but you know what? If you can dream it, you can do it. And I can dream that Bob, that Michael Eisner will be on our show. Uh, you know, being crusty and old and cantankerous because he's like seventy-five years old. But that would be fantastic. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Find us online where we are also fantastic. The MSCPodcast.com. Go to the show notes there. See all the links and everything you need. See all the pictures of the, of the, of the people we've had on. Um, yeah. And all the, all the show stuff is all there. Find our contact information there as well. Of course, you can find me on Facebook, Magic on a Dollar, and Disney on a Dollar. Find me on Instagram at Dave Magic Travel Awesome. I would love for you to follow me there because, you know, I'm still working on starting over my, my great Disney oh. Instagram account that went away. Thank you, Instagram. So I would love to get more followers over there. And of course, yeah. follow us on Instagram at the MSC Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the MSC Podcast as well. And finally, we're collecting your questions. We want to do another Q and A very, very soon. So anything you have to ask, movies, parks, opinions, yes. what to do about this, what to do about that, your thoughts, favorites, whatever, trivia, mm-hmm. whatever, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at the MSC Podcast at gmail.com. Jen, where can they find you online? You can find me online at Upon a Star Jen everywhere, as well as at my personal Insta, which would be at Jen underscore Novotny. Awesome. Now, I'm we're going to close the show with a magical moment. I'm going to give one of my own magical moments. We were, uh, this is early on. I don't even think we had our kid at this point. So this is about 10 years ago. And mm-hmm. we're trying to find a spot for the parade. Um, this is when the parade was coming through back in the old days, mm-hmm. you know, when the parade actually came through the parks yes. and a full length parade at night. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I want to say it was the Main Street Electrical Parade. I'm not positive. Or was uh, it Spectra but, Magic? 
Well, no, because in 2009, Spectrum Magic went away and Main Street Electrical yeah. Podcast. So Main this Street was Electrical after, Podcast. okay, yeah, so this yeah. was after I almost that. Said okay. podcast. The parade came back uh, just for a limited time. And I remember this because I just started working mm. at the Disney store and I went six times to Disney in 2009. It was awesome. Okay. And so we were trying to find a spot for the parade. And, you know, every time we turned around, we were, because they have it roped off and we were trying to stand in the little boxes there. We kept coming out of the boxes and finding other places. It was really frustrating. And a cast member walked up and was like, hey, you know, you need to stand up here. And we're like, we're, we're sorry. We're trying. We just we can't. We can't find a spot because there's like four of us and we're trying to find a spot for the parade and whatever. So the cast member looks around. He looks around back and forth and everything. He looks at us. He goes, follow me. So we follow him. He takes us over close to Liberty Square where the bridge is, where there is special mm-hmm. seating sit yeah. with, with folded chairs where you could sit back. And he un- undoes the rope. He lets us in. He goes, you guys have a seat. The parade will start in about, about 20 minutes. And we got to go and sit front row right there on Liberty Square where the bridge is. And there was, a, there was a seating area there. So we got to sit there and watch the parade come by. I got tons of pictures. Wow. It was fantastic. And, That's you know, that doesn't happen a ton. But I love it when, uh, when no. the cast members are like, you know what? You come with me. So we sat down. We got to watch the parade. I, because Sleepy Hollow is right across the, 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 yep. the fairway there. Mm-hmm. I went into the rope, went over there, got us some waffles and some funnel cakes and some drinks. Came back over and had a front row cart, front row view to this uh, to this beautiful parade that I had only seen once before. And this was the last time I ever got to see it because it went away very shortly. Did it go away? Yeah. It go away. Mm-hmm. Didn't we? So that's our magical moment. And that is our show, folks. Episode number 30 of the Main Street Electrical Podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Make sure you listen. Follow, uh, follow all the places we gave follow, you. Follow, follow. Uh, go to iTunes. Give us a rate and review. Five stars is the best kind of rating and review. Mm-hmm. I don't actually know that it'll let you do anything else other than five. So just start out with five and go from there. Just do five. Yeah. Just do five. That's the best thing for you to do. But, uh, but no, thank you so much for listening. Jen, thank you so much for, for being with me on the show. Love it. Yeah. Guys, hey, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. It's always also a pleasure to thank your Phoenicians. <laughs> Hello there. I'm the dream finder, and my little purple friend here is a big nation. Penguin, for sure. You know, we've traveled all over the world collecting the stuff dreams are made of. And you wouldn't believe all the dreams floating around out there during Christmas. Oh, yeah, so many of them. You see, we fly through the air in my wonderful dream-catching machine, gathering sunbeams, rainbows, feathers, anything that sparks the imagination. And these last few weeks, we've been collecting the wonderful Christmas wishes our guests here at Epcot Center have been dreaming. And we stole these Thank you for listening to the Main Street Electrical Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The MSE Podcast. Or visit our website at themsepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe and may all your wishes come true.